Hello, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Benita. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day and provide key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back, y'all. We are here today to have another conversation about a favorite topic at Farm Commons lately, insurance, specifically crop and livestock insurance. There are just so many things to cover when it comes to crop and livestock insurance, and we can't get enough. (laughs) Today, we will be exploring why crop and livestock insurance is so different from other types of insurance. Kate and I are going to walk you through it. How's it going, Kate? Hey, Benita. Well, you know, today is actually a pretty cool and and um, and rainy day, but the last few weeks have been so hot over here, and Ugh. we've been talking about... <laughs> <You too. laughs> yeah, it's been pretty brutal, and we've been talking about crop and livestock insurance a lot on the podcast, um, but for a really good reason. You know, I'm watching my garden wilt every day, and it's a reminder that... <laughs> Now is really a great time to focus on these insurance policies as a risk management tool for farmers and ranchers. So let's get into it. You know, Kate, in some of our recent conversations about crop and livestock insurance, we met with farmers to discuss what crops are insurable, how to access insurance, what liability means, and more. But today, we're going to take a slightly different approach. One benefit of having so many conversations with farmers about crop and livestock insurance is that we've heard questions and concerns from farmers about crop and livestock insurance and the business savvy reasoning behind decisions to buy and the reasons not to buy it. Specifically, I'm remembering a conversation that we had with a group of farmers about what practices they could use to make it more likely that their crop and livestock insurance claims will be successful. And a really important concern came up. If I make a crop and livestock insurance claim, won't my premium increase? Yes, yes, that is such a good question. And if crop and livestock insurance premiums go up when a claim is made, then insurance can really only become worthwhile for huge catastrophes like total Mm. crop loss. And if we look at the likelihood of total crop loss actually happening, meh, you know, it, it it seems like crop and livestock insurance might not feel worth the price tag for an unlikely catastrophe. And, you know, that's just that's just a smart business decision. So let's hear it from a farmer that we spoke to, Penny. I also wanted to say that I think of insurance as um, something for major catastrophe, because if you file a lot of small claims, I think your premium is going to go out of sight to where you can't afford it. So I think of, like, I'm not going to bother the agent for the siding on the garage. We'll just buy some more siding or make it and put it up. For me, a catastrophe would be if the entire barn burns down or the whole flock of sheep, I don't know, drowns or something. We, We had a friend who was away at work and... And 
her whole flock drowned in a pasture that was low. So those those are the things that you would um, mm. file for. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you're asking for increased premiums or being dropped. So it's yeah. got to be something pretty um, cataclysmic. You'll notice that Penny is talking about property insurance and crop and livestock insurance there. Penny recently had a storm come through and damage her garage, and she applied her knowledge of property insurance to crop and livestock insurance. Don't file a claim unless it's crucial to keep premiums low. This is wise. With many insurance policies, filing a claim can lead to an increase in your premium rates that could stay in effect for two to five years. The size of the increase will depend on your situation. And actually, it's a good idea to have a conversation with your insurer when you buy your policy, just to get a sense of how much your premium rate might increase after a claim. That can help you figure out whether or not you want to file a claim when the time comes. Mm. Yeah, great tip, Benita. And that kind of logic applies to many property insurance policies, including homeowners insurance, farm property insurance, and auto insurance. So these types of policies are adjusted on a per individual basis, which means that the insurance company considers your individual risk level when making adjustments to your premium. So if you file a claim, then your statistical likelihood of filing a claim again increases, and so do your premium rates. And this kind of per individual policy is different from something like health insurance, where risk levels are not adjusted on an individual basis. So you can safely file a health insurance claim without seeing your premium rise. So when it comes to policies like property insurance, car insurance, et cetera, Penny is right on the nose. In fact, when I was doing some reading for this episode, I saw sources online that actually only recommended filing a claim in the event of catastrophic loss. Oof, Kate, yeah, since those per-individual kind of policies are what most of us interact with, it's no wonder that farmers are approaching crop and livestock policies with the hesitancy to file claims. But federally subsidized crop and livestock insurance policies work very differently. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) If you file a claim with crop and livestock insurance, your premium will not increase. I repeat... You can file a crop or livestock insurance claim without any repercussion on your premium rate. Whoa, that's huge. And this is surprising to a lot of people because it goes against the profit-driven insurance system we are familiar with. With federal crop and livestock insurance, a farmer in Texas can file for drought-related losses year after year, even as the climate becomes more arid. They will not see their individual premium increase each year. Now, to be totally 100% accurate, if you really do suffer loss after loss after loss year after year, that will have an effect on the revenue you can show, which over time will cause a continual reduction in the amount of revenue you can insure. So it's not going to let you party like it's 1999, (laughs) but it's not like auto insurance either. Obviously, y'all, this is not a money-making scheme, and that's the point. The USDA is not out to make a profit, but they do have an obligation to make sure that the entire system of subsidized crop and livestock insurance policies remain financially sound, so premiums do occasionally increase. 
But when they increase, they increase for everyone in the area growing that crop or who hold the same policy. Even though farmers buy crop and livestock insurance from private insurance companies, the insurer has to sell the policy at the federally determined rate. So there isn't variation between insurance companies on premiums. Mm. Yeah. So the agricultural industry really enjoys special status when it comes to crop and livestock insurance. And this actually goes way back to the 1930s when the U.S. was trying to recover from the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. And at that time, there was no federal crop and livestock insurance. And private insurers just could not provide affordable crop and livestock insurance because there was such a high risk of loss in agricultural production or because the, the amount of loss was just unpredictable. So this was really bad news for farmers who couldn't insure against their loss and were going out of business. And it was bad news for people trying to buy food when they couldn't access it or the prices were so high. And it was just bad news for the economy. So all in all, a crisis. Mm. Yeah. The federal government stepped in, though, I think, right, Kate? Yeah. In 1938, mm-hmm. Congress passed the Federal Crop Insurance Act and created the first federal crop insurance program. The two main goals were to protect the income of farmers from crop failure or price collapse and to protect consumers from food shortages and high prices. And the government does this by subsidizing the premiums for crop and livestock insurance. On average, around 60% of a farmer's premium costs are covered by public funds. Yeah. That is like so that's so mind blowing to me that 60 percent of a farmer's premium is actually covered by the federal government. So, you know, the system still has flaws when you look at it from other angles. Um, On one hand, it can enable large scale farms to operate without adopting practices that would make their land more drought resilient, for example. So if a farmer will be paid out for drought-related crop loss multiple times in a row with little impact on their premium or their insurable revenue, then they really have little incentive to change their farming practices. But the downsides of the current crop insurance system are a story for another time. We're here to make sure folks are able to make good decisions for themselves and their business about whether crop and livestock policy meets their needs and is in line with their values. So let's hear from another farmer, Lisa, who operates a ranch in Florida. Because it made me just think of, you know, the years I've been farming and what I've actually um, have dealt with and not necessarily did anything about it. Um, You know, like with livestock, you know, I've had, you know, um, predators attack, you know, some of my sheep at some point, um, not a lot, maybe like one or two here and there. And, you know, I didn't think of having, um, livestock insurance at the time, you know, cause I just thought, Hey, it's, you know, probably really expensive to have livestock insurance. You know, Kate, I think there are so many farmers out there who like Lisa, will suffer through huge business losses without assistance because they assume assistance is not accessible to them. And you know, they have good reason for thinking that, given prior experience with other types of insurance. 
But considering the government subsidies for crop and livestock insurance and the premiums, I think it could be really worthwhile for a producer like Lisa to explore crop and livestock insurance. It doesn't take long to run a few scenarios through the Risk Management Agency's premium cost estimator just to get an idea of what the price might be. And reach out for help if you have issues using the cost estimator linked in the show notes, y'all. Yeah, and just to bring it home here, what we are ultimately trying to do is keep farm and ranch businesses going strong. And mm-hmm. I don't want to, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, but risk management, you know, is just as important to a successful business as a solid crop plan, marketing efforts, and thriving plants and animals. So insurance is really a key component of risk management, and we want farmers to know that there is crop and livestock insurance available to them, even as small, diversified operations. Yes, 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 Kate. Love that focus. There are a ton of crop and livestock insurance plans out there. Some will cover specific crops or animals, and some will cover specific risks, like delayed planting. Some will cover the revenue of entire operations, which is super ideal for small and diversified operations. And you can check out episode 47 if you're interested in more information on that, or read the guide that we've linked in the show notes below. Great. Well, we hope this spring is bringing you just enough rain and sun to keep your mind at ease. And if not, know that crop and livestock insurance is a tool you can turn to. So... Happy growing, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing. This material is funded in partnership by USDA Risk Management Agency under award number RMA22CPT0012392.